Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter, both at LockdownWBB and, of course, 24 7, 365 basketball coverage at High Post Hoots, except for this year, 2020, when it's a leap year, so we are 24 7, 366. And somebody who's given us quite a lot to talk about, especially this week, is Greg Bibb, president of the Dallas Wings. And Greg, I think obviously we want to start with what everyone is thinking about this week as it relates to you, and that's Marist women's basketball. Good morning, Howard. Thank you for having me. And yes, as you know, I'm a, I'm a Red Fox for life. So happy to always talk about my alma mater uh, and the pride that I have in the women's basketball program. Awfully impressive. Cool. Off, I, saw, I saw them at Ryder on Tuesday night. Showed poise, showed confidence. That is absolutely a tournament team in the making. Very impressed with the Marist Red Foxes. But we'll, we'll save that for March now and talk a little Dallas Wins basketball as well. And the place I wanted to start was if you could just sort of take me through. You made a trade, Skyler Dean Smith this week, obviously, uh, being traded to the Phoenix Mercury. It wasn't a trade that necessarily came about uh, in the easiest way, and you've now had this uh, back-to-back where you've had these processes where players have asked for deals. So take me through, if you can, uh, your perspective on how the Skyler trade came about. Sure. Skyler you know, communicated that she would like to uh, continue her WNBA playing career somewhere else. Uh, we had the ability and executed the core provision, uh, which provided us the opportunity to work with her uh, to find a destination for her uh, and assets in exchange for us um, that worked for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a, a fairly fast-moving uh, process with this, uh, this trade, and um, there were several teams that were in play, um, but to credit Jim Pittman and the Mercury organization, they very quickly... Uh, positioned themselves as the um, the team that would most likely end up with the deal based on the assets that they were willing to provide. Mm-hmm. And obviously that, that resulted in the fifth and seventh pick uh, of this year's draft and Phoenix's uh, first-round pick in 2021, which we then immediately flipped to Chicago uh, for a stew endor. So, in essence, we end up with 5-7 and Endor in exchange for Skyler. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's interesting because the way you describe this, there's, if memory serves, the process uh, that led to the trade of Liz Cambage a year ago uh, took uh, 11 years, uh, give or take, and I know it was complicated by a number of things. It seems like this was relatively smooth. Uh, you had a number of teams that Styler indicates she's willing to go to. Uh, you had teams that were willing to come forward uh, with their best offer right from the get-go. I, I, you know, did you learn anything from that Liz experience that helped make it smoother, you think, on your end as well? You know, I think every potential trade process is different. Uh, There are a lot of variables and moving parts that go into each one. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for me, the most notable difference in this process was the fact that we weren't limited uh, initially to a team in Mm -hmm. terms of where the player was considering as a destination. Uh, And when you have the opportunity to have multiple teams in play, 
It's better for everybody. Yeah. Uh, it's better for us, certainly, because it gives us the opportunity to go seek the best deal. But it's actually better for the player, too, because it doesn't allow the other potential trade partner to leverage the situation and reduce you know, the assets in return. So when the process starts with more parties in play, it usually uh, ends up in a quicker, uh, more efficient uh, end result. It all makes sense, and so obviously a really good return. I want to get to that in a minute, but I also want to give you a chance uh, to weigh in on some of the things that uh, Skylar's talked about, some uh, things that she expressed as frustrations with her time in Dallas and, and uh, spoke about uh, the organization itself. And I'm just curious, you know, what you've heard about that and, uh, you know, what, what your thoughts are about what she said. Skylar Diggins-Smith was a big part of our organization for a long time. She was the face of our organization. She was the leader of our team. I'm on the record publicly saying that more times than I can count over the last four or five years. Mm -hmm. uh, great respect for her as a player. Um, tremendous appreciation for what she did for our organization on the court. Um, wish her well. Wish her family well in Phoenix. Uh, and hope she achieves and realizes everything there that she wants to do uh, with the remainder of her basketball, professional basketball career. In terms of the other stuff, I'm not going to comment on that now in particular because, you know, Skyler's no even, not even a part of our organization at this point and we're moving forward. I will say in a general sense, there seems to be a false narrative that no one wants to be in Dallas anymore. Um, I would say folks that feel that way should step back and look at what's happened the last couple of days. Megan Gustafson, who was an unrestricted free agent and could have signed anywhere, chose to sign a multi-year deal in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Mariah Jefferson did not need to sign a multi-year deal in Dallas this year. She chose to do so. Isabel Harrison did not need to sign a multi-year deal this year in Dallas. She chose to do so. A stew and door is candidly very excited about coming to Dallas to continue her career. We have a number of players already on the roster who are really excited about the direction of the organization and to be a part of it for the foreseeable future. So I do get a little disappointed um, in what has become this narrative that Dallas isn't a place anyone wants to play because that's simply not true. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say the only other general comment I would make is that, you know, it's a little disappointing sometimes when, as an organization, uh, I believe we go above and beyond to accommodate um, individuals that are part of our family. Uh, before being a basketball president, I'm a husband and a father. Um, I have two kids. Anyone who comes to a Wings game can see them sitting beside me every game, uh, along with my wife. And I certainly, as a dad, understand... Uh, the extraordinarily challenges and things and accomplishments mothers, particularly young mothers, uh, are faced with and deal with uh, on a daily basis. And I would never, ever compromise the um, opportunity of a young mother uh, in terms of balancing family and work. And we have always said and have been on the record saying family is first. You know, the, ve the very reason I got involved in the WNBA, or one of the main reasons I got involved in the WNBA way back in 2007, is I had a newborn daughter. 
And I thought it would be a tremendous opportunity for her to grow up around unbelievable role models, unbelievable female role models. And then several years later, what I realized was, A, I was right, but B, it was probably even more important for my son. Mm-hmm. And that's proven true for on both accounts. So family's very important to me. It's the most important thing to me. And I think we as an organization also put family first and have proven that to be the case. Um, and I'll leave it with that. Well, I, I appreciate your comments uh, about that as well. And obviously the Dallas Wins family is about to get massively bigger, uh, potentially, although there's still some time until the draft comes. But uh, according to my notes, you have all of the first 30 picks in the upcoming draft. Is that true? And they're going to move the draft to Dallas uh, this, this April? Is that correct? Well, first and foremost, I would say my calendar tells me uh, it's February 13th. So That's first true. of all, a day in advance, happy Valentine's Day to you. Yeah, um, but that also tells me we have some time between now and the 2020 WNBA draft Indeed. and between now and then and between now and the start of training camp on April the 26th uh, I would expect to see uh, additional moves from Dallas mm-hmm. uh, in regards to our roster and 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 that was my question for you because clearly I mean you you already have more players currently under contract uh, than you could have on a finalized roster there's a lot of talent here but there is it seems a fair amount of overlap in terms of some skill sets, not to mention uh, the fact that you have these uh, numerous draft picks as well. And so when you think about this team, Arike is obviously critical to the building efforts and what you guys have been doing. I'm wondering how you see in a perfect world a lineup around Arike. What are the skill sets that you think, now that you've seen her for a year, best complement what she does on a basketball court? Well, first, Howard, what you have to realize, I believe we have 14 players under contract right now. Mm -hmm. Three of those contracts are training camp contracts that don't count uh, against the cap until we get through camp. That number is not an extraordinary number in advance of a training camp or even in a training camp. Mm -hmm. We just happen to be early, I would say, with some of our training camp signings. We wanted to bring Carly Samuelson back. Mm -hmm. Uh, We wanted to bring Morgan uh, Birch, our third-round pick uh, from last season, back. And Amani exercised uh, her qualifying offer and is coming back. So that's gotten us to a number earlier than what you typically see, and earlier probably than most other teams this year. So well, the calendar's the really changed this year, really, I think, for a lot of teams, right? I, I mean, right. that just as, as virtue of the, uh, by virtue of the new CBA. Right. So I think the perceptions were really heavy, and we are heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you add that to the picks, it seems like we're really heavy, which is true. But it's not, from an under-contract perspective, extraordinary. And again, oh, no. we have too and much it's not to disastrous. Not disasters to have too many assets at this point in time. Right. That's, there, right. There's no that such said, thing when it comes to building a team. That's, yeah, and that said, you asked about Enrique. You know, obviously, we feel Enrique had one of the best rookie seasons in the history of the league, mm-hmm. certainly one of the best rookie seasons in the history of our organization. And she clearly is a leader and face of this team for years to come. And we're excited to have her here as a foundational piece of what we're building. She's an unbelievable offensive talent. I would say she's a better person, and I think she's committed to her game on both ends of the court. Yeah. 
And, you know, sometimes I chuckle when I read um, stories and comments about her being just a volume shooter and volume scorer and really nothing else. I mean, if you go back and look at the numbers, that's just not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, she had a very impressive uh, PER in her first year as a rookie, taking on not only the scoring burden, but being really our only, you know, consistent scoring option, which allowed other teams to scheme and prepare for her. And she was handling the primary ball responsibilities, which she's never done before at a high right. level. Right. And she did it by posting a PR, PR as a rookie that was above average while scoring the way she scored and finishing third in the league overall in scoring. So uh, she's an extraordinary talent. You have to get lucky in the draft sometimes, as much work as you put into it. Uh, and and as, as efficient as you can get in the process, sometimes it just comes down to luck. And being able to draft Arike at five, we knew we were lucky. Uh, but I would be lying if I would tell you that we would have thought before the season that she would have had the season she had in 2019. So with her as a building block, you know, obviously we need to get uh, some ball handling uh, to help her. And mm-hmm. I think we have that. In Mariah Jefferson, um, you know Mariah was uh, with us last year, but decided not to play the season and to get healthy. Uh, and not having her and not having Skyler, that's a big deal. That's a football team without a quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, to put it in other sports terms, and it just kind of compounds all of the other challenges you have. Well, now we have Mariah Jefferson healthy and ready to go. And I think, in my mind, when Mariah's healthy, she's a top-tier point guard in this league. So now you're bringing in not only a point guard who's capable, you're bringing in a very good point guard to start alongside of Enrique. So that's a huge plus for us. So um, and we will, I, 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 just to, to talk about that for a minute, I, I think that's really significant. And listen, Mar- Mariah, in terms of uh, on a permanent basis through her career, has been a top-15 player in the league Period. I don't just mean among point guards. I mean among all players. And so what's interesting to me when you talk about it is Arike, who's someone who has been extremely successful, not just with the ball, but off the ball as well. It gives you a not dissimilar look to a backcourt of Tasha Cloud and Christy Tolliver. You know, in other words, the backcourt that just uh, helped Washington to a championship. I mean, do you see that as uh, a little bit of a co-pilot scenario with the two of them starting for you? I would expect Mariah to handle the bulk of the point guard, guard duties, but certainly uh, Arike proved last year she's capable of doing that. Yeah. Um, and when you think about her sliding over in spots and getting some other people on the court that we currently have, and if we get uh, lucky again and add some other people we hope to add, it could be very exciting in terms of our backcourt ability. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what it comes down to is two, five, seven, and nine. If you could take me through sort of your thinking about that at the moment uh, as it relates to the 2020 draft. I would say that we look at where we sit currently as uh, the owner of a lot of assets and that we're open for business uh, and willing to talk to any other WNBA team about potential transactions. Never say never, but right now the plan is to retain number two and to utilize that pick in the draft. But again, never say never. As for the rest, uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, you know, we are very proud of the draft process uh, here in Dallas. I think our results prove that we have had success in that regard. And we've certainly been putting in the work this year 
and feel like we have a good handle on um, the current draft class and what the draft class could be by the time the draft rolls around. Um, and if we end up um, holding multiple picks, we'll be ready to utilize them in an intelligent way. Or we may, as we've discussed, take some of those uh, and try to flip them uh, for established WNBA players. So time will tell. It's going to be a fascinating thing, and obviously we'll, we'll be keeping our eye on it as well. I am interested relative to a player that you drafted last year, a player who I think is a clear development success, uh, and that's Megan Gustafson. And just to take you through the way I saw it, and I'm curious how you did, Megan Gustafson, who obviously had a storied college, college career, but one in which she was playing a role that wasn't necessarily compatible with the way the WNBA plays and something that was a, an inside-focused game. And I, I watched her in training camp. It obviously got to a point where uh, she was cut at one point on your roster. Uh, you guys continued to work with her after you re-signed her, though. And if you look at the deeper dive numbers on a permanent basis, she was as good as virtually any rookie in the league last year and remade her game on the fly uh, with the help of your team. And I, and I asked it for two reasons. One, you sign her to a three-year contract, so obviously she's someone who you're looking to have around for the long term. But two, it seems like she fits with a lot of the profiles that you guys have gotten uh, in the current era, whether it's Christina Needway, you know, whether it's Isabel Harrison, whether it's even you know, a Stu. Uh, it's these big players who are capable of moving inside and out. So Megan obviously had a remarkable collegiate career, um, and I was happy to see that the University of Iowa already honored her and, and retired her number, and, and that was a wonderful ceremony that she had the opportunity to take part in mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. But coming out of college, you know, the question around Megan was how did her game translate to the WNBA? Uh, and for those reasons, um, she fell in the draft. And she was available to us uh, in the second round. And at that point, it seemed like a no-brainer uh, to take a shot with her. And we drafted her, and she came into camp, and she worked extraordinarily hard. Uh, and it was a very tough decision um, to release her. But at the time, we were in dire need of point guard help. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were not nearly as thin in the post. So we made a decision based on roster more than based on Megan's performance or ability. And we had to leave her go. Uh, and then when our situation changed, once we got into the season, we were fortunate enough to bring her back. Uh, and she came in with the same attitude that she had day one of training camp. Work hard, do what she could to get better, be a great teammate, support everyone, um, just a consummate professional and a great person to be around. Um, and while she was with us, although she didn't play a tremendous amount of minutes, we saw that effort and that improvement every day in practice, particularly with the face-up game and extending her range, which she understands she's going to have to continue to develop mm -hmm. to continue to be a more impactful player in the W. Uh, she's now over in Hungary having a very good first overseas professional season. While working on her shooting and extending her range, she's also... Um, I would say more fit than she's ever been. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's learning the things you have to do as a professional to get to that next place in terms of your development. I am very excited 
for Megan to come into camp and show how she's improved and grown as a player. And I remain confident she is going to have a very long and very successful WNBA career. So where does that leave the way you think about your bigs at this point? Because you have what you'd almost call an embarrassment of riches right now when it comes to those four or five spots. You know, whether it's, uh, to my mind, one of the savviest trades of last season was uh, bringing in Christina Nigway uh, and being able to add her to a young talent mix. But with her, with Megan Gustafson, you know, with Izzy, with Astu, with Imani, you know, with Azure Stevens, the the list goes on and on. And ultimately, as you know, there's a finite amount of minutes. So I'm just wondering how you think that shapes out, number one. And number two, when at the second uh, available pick, there happens to be another player who seems to fit that profile in Lauren Cox, how you balance all of that with whatever targets you're going to be looking for uh, in the upcoming trade market? Well, I would say having a lot of good players is better than not having enough good players. So let's start there. Uh, And again, you know, we are several months away from the start of the season. So whether every player that's currently under contract is there, they want a training camp or if there are changes to the roster, who knows? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we are deep right now in the post. Um, I don't know if we're grossly oversubscribed in the post, as some people feel we are. Uh, I think, you know, the trade for a stew, she's a little different than Christine. She's a little different than Megan. I'm not saying she's better. I'm mm-hmm. just saying she's different. Uh, you know, Izzy brings something different. Azure uh, is a unique talent. Uh, many of those players can play both the four and the five. Some of them can also play the three. So, you know, I think certainly we're deep in the post. I don't think we have six carbon copies or seven carbon copies of the same player. No question. Um, no, so no, I, I feel good about I feel good about our stock uh, in terms of the post. Uh, I'm really excited about the players that we've discussed in the last few minutes, and mm-hmm. I think all of them. All of them have yet to reach their potential and have upside. So there's only there's only better to come from that group. And I think when you look overseas, what's happening right now that supports that theory. You know, Christine is having a very strong uh, campaign in Turkey right now. I think she's averaging like 16 and 11. Mm-hmm. Izzy just uh, scored 30 uh, yesterday in her game. Um, Megan, we already talked about, is playing well. Astu has long been established as a great international player and had a fantastic playoff in the WNBA last year. And Azure is recovering from a significant foot surgery, and she's very close to getting back on the court. And the hope is she'll be ready to go at the start of training camp. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I feel good about where we are in the post position. And, and just in terms of philosophy, though, because you're entering year two with Brian Adler as coach, and he won a championship, obviously, with a very significantly tall front line. I mean, effectively, Candace Parker playing the three next to NECA and Gentel Lavender for large portions of those seasons was something that proved very effective. You guys were last in the lead in pace last year, which is obviously a change from the way you guys played under Fred Williams. And I, I guess I'm trying to 
uh, isolate whether that is the idea, that's the philosophy, uh, and that's the larger plan going forward, or if that is purely symptomatic of the plays you happen to have in 2019. Probably a little bit of both. I think that that's another element folks have to realize is when you make a coaching change, no matter how good and decorated that coach coming in is, and certainly Brian's one of the best, if not the best, at what he does in our business. Without question. When you make that change, there's an adjustment period that has to take place. The coaches need to get to know the players beyond just coaching against them. And the players need to get to understand the coaches and what the, the accountability is and what the coaches expect from them in terms of coming to work and what they do and what the roles are and learning a new system. And that takes time. And we happen to be a young team, so it probably takes more time hmm. um, than typical. Um, and you have an adjustment and a learning period. And I think going into the second year of camp, with Brian and his staff, we are in a far different place in terms of under, he and his, team, his staff understanding personnel and the personnel understanding him and his staff. So I think that will be a big difference as well as we enter the second season under Brian's guidance in terms of what we can get in terms of production on the win and loss column. And so and I want to end with big picture, but just one bit of housekeeping uh, before that. Obviously, Gloria Johnson... Uh, is a free agent at the moment. I know we, we spoke about her a few months ago, and she was someone uh, who you were considering an option at that time. Have you guys been in contact, and, and is Lori someone that you guys are actively considering this offseason? I think right now, for our conversation on this podcast, uh, we feel good about the post players that we have under contract. Mm -hmm. Understood. Understood. And so let's talk about that big picture goal. So you're entering year two with Brian. Obviously, there's been uh, a significant uh, amount of young talent infused in here. But like you said, you know, it is a long process. Are the playoffs in 2020 something that feel like a reasonable goal, a realistic goal? Or does your arc of how this team is coming together seem a little bit longer to you? Well, Howard, look, it's February, as we discussed. We haven't lost a game since last September. Everyone <laughs> feels good about their roster in February, in March, and April. Yeah. That said, certainly we're very young. Certainly we've had a significant amount of turnover the last couple of years. You know, you build teams over years, not days or weeks or months. And you set a strategy and direction that is long-term in nature, and then you build toward it. We had a strategy centered around a couple of players and we spent several years building to it and mm -hmm. getting everyone on the bo on on board and literally here and then for various reasons that strategy had to shift and it takes a minute to shift that strategy and execute the new plan i think we have pivoted fairly quickly and i am pleased to with how we've been able to uh shift course and in particular, the players and assets that we've been able to collect in a short amount of time that I believe will result in a very talented roster. The goal for us, like I think it's the goal for every team entering training camp, is to win. The expectation for us, as it is for every team, is to qualify for the playoffs. Once you get to that point, then it's a new ball game and all bets are off. Mm -hmm. But yes, as we enter the 2020 WNBA season, 
the Dallas Wings' expectation is to win and to compete in the playoffs. Well, it it will be a fascinating period of time, both the preseason, both the offseason, and also the season itself. And Greg, I, I just got to say, your transparency about how and why you do what you do helps drive the coverage of the league. And so, uh, you know, on behalf of media, really very appreciative of that. We've been able to see, I think, an explosive growth in the amount of coverage for the WNBA as well. And that can't happen without both sides pushing to make it uh, to make it so. So appreciate that very well, much. Well, well, Howard, I appreciate the coverage, and I, I would like to talk to that too because I, I agree. I feel like the last week or so, there's never been more conversation, discussion, debate, perspective on our league mm-hmm. than ever before. I don't think there's ever been this kind of activity um, in terms of the coverage and interest in our league, whether oh, wow. that be the major media outlets or individuals talking on social media. You know, even working in the business, it's been a lot of fun uh, to follow along and, and read comments and perspective. And, you know, whether someone's telling you you're the, you're the smartest guy in the room or the dumbest guy on the planet, to me that's okay because everyone's taking enough time and has enough investment to have a feeling and a comment and a concern. Exactly. And that's far better than no one having anything at all to say. People and being you engaged. Play a part in helping us. Yep, you play a big part in helping that happen. So you and, and everyone who's covering the league uh, and starting to take notice, uh, we all are, are, are forever grateful and, and truly appreciative. And uh, look forward to talking again soon. Haven't slept much, but wouldn't want it any other way. So thank you, Greg. And we'll be chatting soon, I'm sure. All right, thank you.